welcome to the latest episode of our Business in Focus podcast. I'm Emily Kahn, a director at PwC, and I'm your host for today's episode. Normally in this podcast series, we talk about the wide-ranging implications of the COVID-19 pandemic. And while this is still the biggest thing on most of our minds at the moment, we shouldn't forget that there's another big show in town. On the 31st of December 2020, the UK left the European Union behind, creating a huge shift in the global order and bringing big changes for British businesses and people. At PwC, we've been examining this issue for some time, translating a moving political and policy picture into implications for UK and European businesses. Most recently, at our virtual trade summit in November, we convened people from across the public and private sectors to discuss the future challenges and opportunities we're now facing as a country. Having had the great pleasure of being the host of that event myself, I'm excited to welcome my longtime colleague, Matt Alabaster, to today's episode. Matt is our international trade lead partner here at PwC. He works with clients in trade, investment, strategy and growth across the public and private sectors. We're going to discuss today what we heard at the Trade Summit and the public polling we've been doing to inform our upcoming report on the new agenda for UK trade. And as we have now been for a few episodes, we're both working at home today, now with the extra hazard of having small children here, who I hope won't be making a guest appearance my side. Hi, Matt. How are you today? Hi, Emily. Um, I'm uh, Honestly, I'm a little bit bored of my home office, um, but apart from that, can't complain. Thank you. Uh, it is very nice to see you virtually and nice to be uh, recording with you again. It feels like a long time ago you and I were discussing the future of trade on our Beyond Brexit podcast series. Um, and whilst a lot's changed since then, that future we were talking about has really only just started. Um, so you and I have talked about this before, but, but bring everybody else back up to speed. Why should we be refocusing on this area now? Thanks, Emily. Yeah, it's really about us all, I guess, collectively focusing back onto the medium and long term rather than the here and now. Um, you know, raising our eyes up from all the news flow that we're, that we're around at the moment around uh, all sorts of complications happening as a result of the Brexit process about ham sandwiches being confiscated at Rotterdam or lobsters not making it to Paris. Um, and we need to remember that trade and investment is, is a long term game. It's, it's fundamental to our collective. Um, prosperity. So we need to kind of restart this strategic debate about where we are taking this and how we might all work together to uh, make a success of it. Thanks, Matt. Um, as you know, this is an aspiration and that I share and actually important, as you say, in these times when we're, we're locked down at home and maybe feeling a bit bored of the home office, as you say, to, to have something on the horizon to aim for. Um, one of the things that you and I have talked about before and, and you know is really important to a lot of us here at PwC is the concept of working together on this. Uh, you mentioned it briefly then. And I'm struck by the fact that Brexit has been a powerfully divisive topic, actually, over the last few years with some very strong views on both sides. Um, there's a lot of talk in the news about time for healing in society, um, particularly in the US, but also here in the UK. And I, I think that at the heart of that debate um, is the question about what the UK stands for internationally. And we've been grappling with that on and off for centuries. And, and for some time, the EU was the answer to that. But it feels very much like we're at the point of needing to evaluate, evaluate that again. I don't know if you'd agree with that. Um, what, what does that kind of trigger in you in thoughts and kind of what we need as we move forward in terms of common goals and shared aspirations? 
Yeah, I think that's I think that's right, and, and it has been divisive, hasn't it? And we do need to think about how we then sort of pull together um, and br bring some sort of agreement and some common objectives um, back into the debate. So, at the kind of at the start of that is exactly as you say. You know, what does the UK stand for in international markets? What are we known for um, when when people overseas think about the UK and think about doing business with UK companies? You know, what is the narrative that underpins that? And you know, as, as you mentioned, for, for quite a long time, we've been members of the European single market, and that, that was really sort of first on the list of selling points um, for many for many people. Um, and, uh, and clearly, that's not the case anymore. But I'm also thinking that the Brexit process that we have been through um, has also you know, damaged, I guess, some of the other perceptions of the UK that people kind of used, mm. used to hold. Um, you know, in the past, and I, and I worked abroad for, for three, uh, four years in the Middle East. And, you know, when I would ask people what they thought about the UK, I would generally get a kind of straightforward, quite consistent and not particularly nuanced answer. You know, it was generally about pragmatism. It was about the rule of law. It was about stability, common sense. Um, and definitely, you know, strong dose of tolerance and, and openness. And now, you know, since the referendum and with all the complications uh, and debate that we've had since then, um, you know, when I when I ask people the same question, they kind of they have to pause for thought a little bit more and think harder to themselves about what they're actually going to answer. Um, so you know, a key moment just to share with you was when I was in um, I was in Beirut at the back end of 2019, back in the days yeah. when we were actually allowed to travel, uh, and I was working with a client out there. Um, and I, I, I joined their I joined their board meeting, um, and as I walked in, um, they all turned to me and uh, frankly laughed, um, and they were laughing to themselves. And one of them shouted out, um, "Your country's in a bit of a mess, isn't it?" Uh, and I thought, well, you know, coming from um, coming from Lebanon, um, which has been sort of complex and volatile for many years, yes, I thought that was quite a quite a punch in the teeth, actually, um, as as a Brit abroad. So. So kind of our traditional strengths may well be under threat and have been damaged a bit by, by the Brexit process. Um, but I guess the good news is that we have um, plenty of others, um, but we need to kind of think about that now and bring that together into a vision uh, that we can all get behind, play to yeah. our strengths perhaps. That's a, that's a really powerful story. And it, it reminds me that the trade summit that I, um, I mentioned in my introduction that you, that you and I jointly hosted, um, one of the things that I really took away from that was from our the the international contributors to that those discussions and how much they talked about kind of emotional goodwill and seeing the UK you know with a fondness and a place that people wanted to be associated with wanted to do business with and some of the the exports that maybe we don't think about as exports tourism higher education um, some of our, our more creative things David Attenborough for instance are all key to that feeling of, of goodwill and wanting to do business with us and play an important role in in um, the perception that you just described there. I think that's exactly right. It's kind of, you, you might call it the emotional business case, right? People run the numbers about whether they should be working with UK companies or investing in the UK, but actually you know, all business decisions um, are made by people. And um, it's actually what Dan Ramsey from the government's great campaign called being a soft power superpower, which is a phrase that, resonated with me yeah, you know, like that. He, he mentioned that we have what do you mean he mentioned we educated more overseas leaders than any other country um he mentioned that the uk is constantly heralded as everyone's favorite second home 
um, and that you can have a conversation about Manchester United and the Premier League pretty much anywhere in the world. So You might be able to. I don't think I can. <laughs> I can try. So, um, so yeah, so that creates an emotional connection, doesn't it, right? Um, those, those industries um, have, have a benefit over and above the direct economic contribution that they make um, to our balance of, of, of payments. And that's definitely something that we, we should be building on going forward. Yeah. Okay, so I think we both agree it's important. I think um, there's probably something else we'd, we'd agree on, that the government and businesses have got quite a lot to deal with at the moment. Um, we're dealing with the huge challenges of getting a global pandemic under control, recovering the economy, levelling up, net zero targets, and um, some might argue, and indeed do argue, that there are more pressing, urgent priorities and, and it can wait for a bit. Um, I've certainly explored on some previous episodes of this podcast, the connections between some of those issues um, and how kind of recovering the economy post-COVID can support the levelling up agenda, for instance. I'd be interested in your view on connections between the trade and investment piece that we've been talking about now and some of those other things that government and businesses are grappling with. What do you think? Uh, Absolutely. Um, So firstly, in response to that, I would say that trade and investment drives prosperity right it's not a nice to have it's not symbolic it's nice it's not a a general abstract concept it drives growth and jobs and employment um, across across the country um, so the idea of kind of leaving it till later isn't isn't really an option um, it, it's critical um, for all our all our sakes uh, secondly I'd also say that there could and should um, be a nice symbiosis between the trade agenda and many of the government's priorities. In fact, I would argue that the government should be looking at its priorities through a trade lens. Um, you know, how can how can a priority dra- drive trade and investment, and how in return can trade and investment help realise you know one of those one of those priorities? I can tell you're homeschooling there using words like symbiosis in normal conversation, Matt. Um, bring that to life a bit for us. How do you see that working in practice? <laughs> Uh, yeah, excellent. Uh, let me give you an, let me give you an example. Um, uh, let's think about net zero. Um, it's on um, you know a, a lot of profile on this at the moment, um, and we need a huge range of you know technologies, systems, solutions um, to deliver on our you know, target as a country to be net zero by twenty fifty. Um, and those technologies, systems, and solutions, one of these come from the private sector. And I was thinking, what a great outcome it would be if we combined the ambitious decarbonisation policy that we've already got set out um, with an equally ambitious and joined up strategy for making sure that the technologies that we need are born, nurtured and commercialised in the UK. And then we could then export those technologies to help the rest of the world decarbonise and secure our financial prosperity at the same time. Sounds good. It does sound good. Um, obviously, it's a theory, uh, but let me give you a counter example of when it, it, it didn't work and an opportunity that I think we missed. So the UK is the largest market for offshore wind in the world. Um, we have more and larger offshore wind farms than any other country, um, despite our yeah. relative small size. Um, but we don't have any major UK manufacturers of wind turbines. The largest one in the world is uh, Vestas from Denmark. Um, the second Siemens Gamesa from Germany and Spain. 
uh, then one from China, and then one from the US. And so wh where are we on that list? The answer is we're not on it at all. In fact, the list of the top 15 wind turbine manufacturers in the world doesn't contain a single UK company. So uh, that was where uh, an example where we set you know, a very uh, effective policy for encouraging investment in the wind farms themselves, but we kind of forgot about the industry that we would like to mobilize behind it. We left it to market forces um, and we missed that opportunity. So let's not make that mistake again. Okay, um, that makes a lot of sense to me. And I think that ties back to the point that you made at, back at the beginning about playing to our strengths, which um, I certainly, I've heard a lot of people talking about this is the time now to confirm what our strengths are and really play to them. And, you know, we have got a lot going for us. We're still a member of NATO, the G7, the G20. We've still got, you know, soft power superpowers, the phrase you use that I really like that comes from our arts and culture exports. And, you know, I spent um, a couple of years recently traveling around different countries talking about Brexit and talking about um, kind of what that meant and hearing really, you know, powerful incentives for people wanting to still work with the UK, that it's a desirable place to live and raise a family. Um, and there are lots of things about us perhaps not our weather, that attract people to want to do business with us. Um, I'm interested in, in your views on kind of what those strengths are and, and what, you know, business can be doing um, in that context to, to play to those strengths. Yeah, I think, it's, I think it's a really important point. And it's one of those phrases, isn't it, that sort of gets bandied around, but you've kind of got to put some meat on the bones um, so that you know what you're, what you're talking about. Um, so... Um, I mean, let's think. Let's think about it in terms of. Um, let's think about it in terms of sectors. Um, you know, there are some sectors where we are, as a country, exceptionally good. Yeah. Um, Premier League. Um, to bring that back, where which sectors are we Premier League at, um, and uh, which sectors are we um, more sort of League Division Three standards? So, you know, we are exceptionally good in financial services. Uh, in media, you mentioned the creative industries, certain parts of the aerospace and defense sector, professional services, healthcare, life sciences, you know, there are a whole range of sectors where the UK is kind of you know, a global leader, one of the kind of the top countries uh, in the world. And just on that last sort of healthcare point, you know, the AstraZeneca Oxford vaccine, yeah. what an amazing story that is um, about UK scientists and industry and indeed government kind of working together um, to develop a vaccine quickly, bring it to bring it to um, you know, fruition and out um, into the population quickly. So uh, very proud of everyone involved in developing that vaccine. Um, and there's plenty of other, as I mentioned, there's plenty of other sectors where we are, where we are very where we are very strong. So my sense is that we should be thinking about building on those strengths, which means doubling down on those sectors which are already you know, real generators of wealth uh, to this country. Maybe supplemented by um, a, you know, so, some selective bets on industries of the future. So, you know, as you mentioned, uh, as, as we both talked about earlier, green tech could be a huge opportunity, but there's also cyber, there's fintech, there's AI and big data, you know, all of those kind of technology-driven sectors that we know are going to be high growth. They might not employ that, that many people, um, but we know they're going to be high growth and high value sectors of the future. So that's that's what I mean by the kind of the strength. The challenges become when um, if you're going to be prioritizing one thing, it sort of implies that we're going to be 
prioritizing something else so yeah you know politically coming down on the side of certain industries um and therefore sort of almost de facto less so on the side of others uh, might be a difficult thing but you know that's that's i think some of the trade-offs and choices that we need to make because you know, certainly when we're working with companies emily as you all know you know we often talk to companies about doubling down on their strengths on their core competencies and making the most of what they're really good at um uh, and you know, I can't help thinking that we need a bit of a dose of that as a country, um, as a whole, because I don't think we can be good at everything. And it's not realistic to assume that we can be good at everything going forward. Yeah, you're right. And I, I reflecting on the conversations that, that we had at the summit and and very, you know, similar similar calls to action from a lot of the, the business participants in that, but also recognizing the challenge of doing that in the current climate when we have some very short-term challenges, but needing to play the long game to those areas of strength that might need some investment and indeed might mean, as you say, we, we move away from things that are maybe kind of employing people today, here and now, but, but without the long-term potential that new areas might have. Um, I'm struck that in that answer, you used the phrase work together again. And that's something that I want us to come back to. Um, I, I know here at PwC, that's kind of our strongly held view that that this whole agenda is something that we need to work together on across industry boundaries, across you know different organisations. Um, and certainly, kind of, I've heard a lot about government and business needing to work together, and that whilst there are things that the government is uniquely placed to do, and negotiating deals with the EU, obviously being high up among those. There is also a, a big role for business that's, that really starts now in kind of promoting the UK overseas and, and setting out our stall, as it were. Um, I know we talk about that in the report that I mentioned in my introduction that is coming out soon. Uh, uh, tell us a little bit more about your views on that, Matt, and what you think we could be doing together to move that forward. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I think uh, collaboration is absolutely um, key to this, and I would really love to see trade and investment become a team sport uh, in the UK, which my sense is it's more of um, in some other countries than um, we have traditionally done. So, I mean, I'll give you an example on that. If I think back to 2007, um, I co-authored a report called The Future of Manufacturing in the UK. And I asked a number of uh, leaders of UK manufacturing businesses Whole bunch of questions but one of the questions was what do you want government to do to support you what can government do um, to help secure your prosperity and the answer was pretty much leave us alone um, and i think that kind of reflected you know that kind of reflected the sort of prevailing environment that we that we had in the uk probably sort of for the for the 30 or so years leading up to the financial crisis it was a laissez-faire kind of market market economy I mean, wasn't it? It was a sort of hands-off, hands-off governments um, just providing the environment rather than getting getting too stuck in. And I think uh, I think that's changing. I think that um, the financial crisis, 2008, 2009. I think the increasing inequality that we've seen um, in the kind of decade or so since the financial crisis. I think definitely the pandemic. And if we look to the future threat of automation, which is a threat that's kind of waiting for us in the wings. All of those things, to me, say we need a bit more of a joined up effort between the public and private sector. Those challenges require a government hand um, and less uh, laissez-faire kind of uh, policies. Um, and I mentioned sort of other countries, if you think 
um, you know, other countries, many other countries tend to have a much closer working relationship between state and industry than we do in the UK. If you think China is the obvious example, um, and Korea likewise, um, but even cl more close to home, Germany and France are probably more used to teaming up um, yeah. across public and private sector and, and even across you know, different businesses in the private sector itself. Than, um, than, than we are. So I'm not sure this comes easily to us, Emily, but I would love to see it, as I say, more of a team sport. Okay, so in that vein, um, and we're almost out of time here, but we like to finish these uh, these podcasts with a with a sort of call to action, something that people can take away for themselves to think about. Um, so in the spirit of team sport, what are some practical ways that people can engage with this agenda? Things that you know, clients of yours are, are thinking about talking to you about at the moment that you would encourage people to have a think about after listening to this? Absolutely. Right. So I would firstly urge companies to look again at their export strategies um, and use that longer term lens, right? Not the, um, not the, not the short term lens about paperwork changes and border processes. Um, but, you know, as I, as I said at the start, exporting is a long game uh, and there are plenty of opportunities out there. So we shouldn't lose heart or lose sight of those. Um, secondly, I would also urge companies uh, and their associations to engage in this debate about how we make this a team sport. What would make a difference to a company's export success or the companies that you represent? You know, who would be able to help you with that? And so we talked a little bit about collaboration across public and private, but it's, it's obviously more complex than that, more multi-dimensional than that. We have universities, um, we have research institutions, um, we have you know, major employers, small businesses. There's a whole range of different sections of the economy um, out there that I think yeah. have, a, have a part to play in this. So I would urge people to think about you know, what institutions or what organizations are there out there um, that, that you could work with, that you could help with. What do you expect from them? What would you like to see from them? And how might we make that a reality? Um, and, uh, and obviously look out for our report. Um, on, on trade and new agenda. Um, clearly, we want to help businesses and indeed the government look beyond the short term challenges and have a constructive debate about this and what the UK stands for and how they might work together to deliver on it. Um, our report is a small contribution uh, into that debate, um, but we are clearly uh, open to all opinions and feedback. Thank you so much, Matt. That was a fascinating discussion. And of course, thank you to everyone for listening. Like many of the issues we discuss on this Business in Focus podcast series, the challenges and opportunities we've explored in this podcast are really just the beginning of a larger conversation. And we would love for you to join us to create a shared vision for the future of the UK as a trading nation. Please do look out for ways you can get involved on our website at pwc.co.uk forward slash UK trade. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to keep up to date with our Business in Focus podcast series. Thanks, everyone. Stay safe. See you next time.